Pete Yost here for the Unbuild It podcast with a word about our sponsor, Huber Engineered Woods. There are really three reasons why I think Huber Engineered Woods stands out, and it's a big part of why they're a sponsor of our Unbuild It podcast. First, they develop systems of products. The products are compatible and integrated. Makes our jobs a lot more easy in the field and when specifying. Second is superior tech support. There are really good website resources that they have developed for the application of their products, but they also have an outstanding uh, 800 numbered tech team that really knows their stuff. And the last is a really active technical research and development team with whom I've done a lot of work over the years and I have a lot of faith in the information I get from them when I have questions about product performance. So that's it. That's our high-performance sponsor. Now onto the podcast. I'm Jake Burton, and welcome to the Unbuild It podcast. Today I'm joined with my regular cohorts uh, and co-hosts, Steve Basic. Hello. And Peter Yos. Morning. And apparently, uh, you can't say morning. They could be listening to this in the evening. Well, good day to you all. (laughs) (laughs) And apparently Steve's not awake yet, since he's just like, meh, meh. Fully awake. Don't poke the bear this early in the morning. Is that what we're saying? Fully awake. Okay. Today's topic is uh, control uh, or indoor air quality, but I think about it as control. Uh, so where I, where I thought that this conversation starts is something that we've talked about a dozen different times. It's uh, air sealing and the control layers and making sure that we're creating an environment where we have good enough control that we actually can start to nitpick indoor air quality rather than we live in a super leaky house and the air quality inside is just whatever the air quality outside is mixed with our cat farting. (laughs) Does that seem fair? Like go back and listen to our podcast on air sealing, the four control layers, all those sorts of things before we get to this point. Sounds good. All those things lead to this conversation. Yeah, I like, you know, John Straub has a really good uh, slide that he uses on environmental separation. And, uh, you know, we're just trying to create a different controlled environment than we have outdoors. But it is kind of weird, you know, that we talk about making better connections with outdoors in some ways, but in other ways we want to make completely separate environments. So there's tension there, I think, but... um, and I just always have to say that we're talking about indoor air quality. You know, the broader topic is in d- indoor environmental quality. And uh, Robert Bean, the mechanical engineer from Canada, healthyheating.com, has some great stuff on how to broaden the definition from indoor air quality to indoor environmental quality. Um, but we're talking about the air quality portion of it today. Yep. Right. Uh, and so we've been in our house that I built for my family for like a year and a half and we very rarely open the windows. The temperature doesn't fluctuate quickly. So there's no like, Oh, it's hot in here. Let's open the windows cause it's cool and off outside sort of thing. And we constantly talk about, Oh, it's nice out. Then we should go outside and sit on the porch or in the backyard rather than try to make the inside the same as the outside. Although, even though I live close to a uh, decent sized thoroughfare, the indoor air quality or the outdoor air quality in Columbia, Missouri is 
pretty darn good too. It's not like we're fighting off major pollutants outside the way that we would be if we live near an interstate in Chicago or something like that. Uh, so let's talk about the pollutants that we would be worried about first. And then that can drive our, our conversation. I broke it into four categories, uh, moisture, VOCs, carbon monoxide, and radon. And that was like the four that I could come up with. Uh, so we have to go to the source, right? We have to start with where's it coming from and can we eliminate it? So if we look at moisture, cause that's a big one, cause we always start with moisture. Uh, in my house, it's, there's a lot of plants, which means there's, you know, four or five cups of water that just get dumped around in different rooms throughout the day. Humidifiers, which is a weird one, but we looked at a house yesterday that had a humidifier. I don't think I've ever built a house that I wanted to put a humidifier in. Yeah. I would much rather argue for a dehumidifier for a big part of the year than a humidifier and tell people, eh, you can just, you can just have a couple more house plants in the winter and that'll help you not be so dry. Uh, building materials that are still drying. We've talked about this one, construction moisture. Yep. Concrete that's letting off moisture, drywall, framing materials, paints. We turn houses over in three or four months. There's not much in there that's dry. Are you looking at my cheat sheet? Don't look at my yes. cheat sheet. <laughs> Steve's proving that he can read upside down. Uh, leaks, bulk water leaks, or an air leak that causes condensation because of temperature difference. Uh, I have unvented and poorly vented gas appliances, which are like that could be a real problem other than moisture, but they're on that for, for moisture. Outside air that's getting in leaving a window open yep. during the day while it's raining, then closing everything up at night. And then it's you and three dogs and the bedroom doors closed. And now it feels like it's a stuffy sauna in there because of all the off gassing from, or the, the exhalation from all those animals combined with high levels. And then Pete's favorite. Do you want to read that Pete? Oh, you don't have your glasses. My glasses. On. Oh, firewood. Firewood. <laughs> so tell us the, the firewood story that you talk about in your, your, your presentation about indoor moisture while we're yeah, here. Well, I, the one in particular I remember, which was quite early on, was a family that took a three-season cottage um, on Cowpath 440 in Vermont. They actually have Cowpath named several roads. Cowpath 440 is uh, just outside Brattleboro. I think I'm getting the number right. But I think it's abbreviated CP or something. You know how they do TH or whatever it is for different rural routes. But this was CP. And I said, what's CP 440? Oh, that's Cowpath 440. I thought, man, if you want to describe Podunk, you just yeah. talk about Cowpath 440. Cowpath onto the name. So they took this three-season cottage and turned it into a deep energy retrofit. And they said, man, this is crazy. We got water streaming down the windows. We have no idea what's going on. So I came out and... You know, I'm walking the outside of the house. No, no, you got to look at the water and the condensation on the inside. I got to figure out where the water's coming from. And they did a good job on the flashing and they had drainage away from the property. So I walked into the basement and I just pulled out my invoice and started filling it out. And he goes, What are you doing? <laughs> I said, Well, how, you know, you have, what do you, how much wood do you have stored in the basement here? He goes, Oh, about three cords, I think. And I said, Yeah, well, how's that work out for you? He goes, Oh, the wood dries out great. Yeah. Cause it goes and into the house. And then it, you, you, it's like you can see. Like the wood dries out great. Oh, so it's about six to eight hundred pounds of water per cord. <laughs> it's not for, a small for a for a drying season. For a drying season, and uh, yeah, you just you can't store that much wood inside. And of course, 
had they stored the wood there in the past? Sure they had, but it was all getting out, you know, because it was a leaky house. You tighten the house up and, and, you know, make it better insulate and you you can't no longer can have 1800 pounds of water leaving the building. So that, that, sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, so there's a blog that I wrote on household moisture that has a table of all the occupant, you know, centered loads that you have to keep track of. And the really interesting thing to me is that um, I sometimes when I teach will leave for showers, leave it blank and say, pick how much water you think is generated by a shower based on all the other ones in the list. And people always go like, oh, you know, four pounds of water or at least two pounds of water. It's a half a pound of water per typical shower, which is incredibly So my daughter is three and a half pounds because she'll take like a a 45-minute shower at the hottest setting. There is that. But... Um, she can make the the bathroom walls look like they're sweating (laughs) for how long she stays in there but that's the thing with the typical shower the reason we think it's a lot is because we see it yeah and all the other sources we don't see it and that's the real issue um but you mentioned unvented gas appliances (coughs) uh you know we talked about this the last time in in terms of ninety thousand btus as a therm and that's one gallon of water that's coming from burning that stuff and you never see it until it's collecting in your attic or something. So I thought for each one of these four categories, we would do what you're just doing. Let's talk about how to get rid of these issues before we move on to the second category. But I have an aside. There was a thing going around a few years ago about how to find out what your adult film star name would be. Because you don't use your real name in adult films. It's the street you grew up on as your last name. And your first name is a, your childhood pet's name. So mine would be Mr. Jingles Rural Route 7. <laughs> Just so we're, the cowpath made me think of somebody's <laughs> name imagine? is Cowpath 44. Yeah, that would Mr. be Mr. Like, Jingles Rural Route I 7. I really want to see who that is. <laughs> okay, you, so you come up with like where do you find this <laughs> stuff? I don't get it. Both of those are false. I didn't grow up on Rural Route 7. I didn't have a pet named Mr. Jingles. I just think it would be hilarious for it to be that. Uh, so you're not going to convince people to not have plants because plant people are just like any other sect of the community. That's super into something there. You're just not going to shut them down. It's like you, you can't tell people who are super into guns to stop buying guns or people who love skiing to not be super into or climbing. Climbing is a good one. Climbing nerds are always going to be like, Oh, there's this new thing that we got to have. Cause it's an upgraded piece of, you know, like any, any group of people like that, that's super focused. You're not going to convince he who dies with the to, most gear wins. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Humidifiers are a simple one, in my opinion. You just have to educate the client as to what the house is supposed to be doing and give them the ability to measure in the house, put it on a thermostat. So I'm so glad you mentioned that because one of the problems is most people think they're accurately measuring moisture. Yeah. And, you know, they're not even close. Well, and even if we put it on the thermostat, it's only measuring where the thermostat is. Where's your thermostat? Yeah. My house has four thermostats. So which one do we count as what the house well, you, is? You know? You're lucky you get to see the difference in the yeah. moisture content from room to room. Building materials. I actually applaud the fact that we're slow at building, that it takes us longer to build a house than a lot of people because we have the opportunity that like my scope of work says that we're going to take moisture content reading on all the framing material before we start covering it up. And Steve, you have a you had a cool rule of thumb about how much moisture per month or something from concrete. That was the concrete slab. Yeah, it's yeah. one month per inch. One month per inch, yeah. <coughs> of exposure. That's a good one. 
which means if you're super into framing the house and then coming back and pouring the basement inside, you're making it that much even harder for you. Cause you got a month or two's worth of framing that you now cut out of the drying time. Yeah. I mean, it, it was born out of, um, you know, using, uh, uh, offsite wall systems, right? So they just show up and you frame the house in two weeks. Yep. Right. Right. After the slab is poured. There you go. So. We're dried in, we're airtight, we have windows, and now we have a few hundred gallons of water that need to try to escape and not be absorbed into something else, you know, that that can be a problem. But yeah. it's it comes down to knowledge again, right? Like if we're dehumidifying during the building process and we're taking measurements, we can resolve that no matter what our timetable is, as long as we're paying attention. A few years ago I consulted on a project. It was it was not a small house. The basement was Probably close to about 200 feet long, maybe about 80 feet at its widest. Cottage. Not a small house. A cottage. A small little cottage. Um, <laughs> the, the basement wall was a 16-inch thick concrete wall that was 16 feet tall that sat on a 12-inch concrete slab. Wow. And uh, and then they were this doing a, a tank repair facility, apparently. Yeah. Well, it isn't. It's quite the house. <laughs> it's a house. Um, <laughs> But uh, they were the builder was concerned because he was doing prefab wall system, and they were going to put it in. And I said, you know, one of the problems you're going to have is you have this huge basement, and you're going to cover up the house and have a roof on it in like two and a half months. Mm. And it was a twenty eight thousand square foot house, but they were going to close it in really quick. And so, in our conversation on a call with the architect, I explained all this, and the architect goes, well, "Where do you think all this moisture is going to come from?" <laughs> and I was like, "Are you?" And that's serious? when you put your hand on top of the the mic and go, "Are you kidding me?" Well, I just <laughs> said, "You know, I don't know. Maybe the sixty concrete trucks that are going to drive through the yard. Maybe every drop of water that went in them has got to come out." Yeah. So it's baffling how much people don't quite understand you know it's interesting about 50 percent of the moisture content of that concrete is part of the crystal structure that's created but the other 50 percent is not it's not bound well it's bound but it's going to come out so it's not a water of convenience is what they call that oh it's water that makes it workable that's it it's not water for part of the chemical process it's just water to be to make it workable and and joe would always say they're going to make it wetter than it should really should be the water water cement ratio Because they want to move it, make it more convenient. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, that foundation, that's like, I don't know, 20 houses, 20 normal houses. Yeah. Worth of water. 16 feet tall. Yeah. Yeah. Crazy. But I just want to go back very quickly to plants because one of my really early building the investigation was a house that was 10 years old that had really serious rot up in the, in the top of the building and they were trying to figure out where it came from. And uh, the builder was involved, but the builder got off the hook because after he built the house room, about a year after, they added an 800-plant greenhouse to the side of their home and uh, kept the door open during the winter. Yeah, to share that temperature. To share that temperature. And that moisture. And that ended up to be one of the biggest culprits. Although there were some problems related to his work, he was off the hook because of that greenhouse. So two things to add to your list of sources before we move on is that you didn't touch upon. Um, one, you're slightly touching upon it, Peter, is you know when, when you have plants and any of the sources, the concentration of sources, I think, plays a role, hmm. right? So that you can have 100 plants, but if they're dispersed around a 4,000-square-foot house in every room, 
that's far less of a problem than if all of your plants are across the front living room mm-hmm. window. And actually, indoor air quality wise, it's probably <clears throat> a great thing if you have a hundred plants dispersed over a four thousand square foot house because they do then wonders for indoor air quality. Yeah, you're somewhat equalizing. There's zap and carbon. That you know, carbon monoxide and everything. But the other thing there in the sources, I would add a, a thing called special conditions, right? I've done natatoriums. Is that farting? Houses. Okay. Right. Um, right. I'm doing a house right now where we're putting an endless pool in the fitness center. So yeah, I don't build houses with pools. So I don't even think about the idea that people have the money to put right. one inside. So yeah, <laughs> but, but you've worked with specialty contractors on, well, yeah, pools. On, on the indoor pools. I mean, we have a pool, believe it or not. I can't, I can't even spend more than about 10 minutes in there because the environment is so horrible and it, I horrible in a sense that for the average person, the homeowner loves it. Mm-hmm. The, the room is probably close to. It, in, it's at least in the high 70s, if not 80 degrees. Well, the, yeah, the, the standard. And, and yeah. the RH in that room is probably like 60, 70%. It's yep. like very high. You can almost cut the air. And I can only spend a little bit of time. But the homeowner goes in there and goes, oh, I love this place. It's yeah. like a sauna. Yeah. yeah. And and it's operating successfully in climate zone five. Um, and, it's, and part of it is, is the pool company actually is the company that did the conditioning system. And yeah. we worked very closely with them on the insulation. So so we have this collaborative effort where everything is tied together very well in understanding. But they took full responsibility they for the way that building works. Yeah. That's really cool. So the the last couple on there, outdoor air leaks, uh, those are avoidable. Fix them, like make it so that the house doesn't leak water, make it so that the house is airtight. Poorly vented appliances. Can we just go to direct vent or combustion-free houses? Like, there's no reason for us to still be using gravity vent appliances at this point. Grow up. It's time to get past that. And uh, obviously, the pets are the same way as plants. You have to just plan for it. I will say that there's like EcoFire, which is an unvented appliance that claims that, hey, you can do this because in a really tight house, you don't want to vent the appliance. And they claim, well, it's burning perfectly. You know, it's only creating Do we believe heat and, and CO2. Well, they, they, they don't even talk about moisture as a byproduct of their fire. So that, that's, that really got my, my, my hair on the back of my neck up because, yeah, you can't discount moisture. And people say, well, it's not gendering that much. Well, it's a function of what's the tolerance of the building? What kind of ventilation system do you have? I know we're going to talk about ventilation coming right up after this because it's a big part of this. But if you don't know what the pollutants are, then you don't know what you have to ventilate to control. Yep. Uh, VOCs, volatile organic compounds. That was like uh, as much as like black mold was a pop word for a long time. I feel like VOCs was a pop word for a few years. I think all the VOC ones are completely avoidable we don't store paints or aerosols or harsh cleaners inside i didn't know that uh in my research for this i didn't know that a lot of air fresheners put off a lot of vocs so that pine tree air freshener that you keep hanging in the bathroom is probably not doing a lot for vocs although it's pretty small uh gas kerosene dry cleaned clothing if you wear a suit every day and you only wear it once and you get it dry cleaned, you might have a problem with indoor air quality. I had no idea as well. And it, it, well, a huge one is home furnishings, you know? Yep. Uh, 
the if you weigh a fire retardant stuff in home furnishing, if you weigh a vinyl shower curtain when you buy it, and then you go back and measure its weight six months later, it'll be fifty percent less weight because of all the VOCs coming off of that material. And if you think about the same thing with like vinyl flooring, so all the luxury vinyl plank that's super popular right now. Yeah, it, the, the VOC it, coming off that because it's a not it's not it's the flexible yeah. vinyl that really yep. has the VOCs and it, off. and you know that because of the same thing if, when you go to take it out it's brittle but when you put it in it wasn't brittle exactly yeah and it's like okay well what chemical change happened here and it's it got rid of all the whatever the the elastic material that's in it you know the plasticizers uh, the yeah. plasticizers yeah. yep. Uh, and then another one that I learned when I was in college is basically everything that you have in a dark room, that there were a lot of photographers at the beginning of the 1900s that had sicknesses related to breathing the chemicals in a dark room. And all those photographers at that time had a dark room in their house. And so like you can really have it's problems if you spend a lot of time around it because it is just chemicals. I had an architect that I taught at Yale with who brought up an interesting one, which is, uh, she, she has a monitor in her space and, uh, she was getting these blooms on a regular basis. And turns out it was the, uh, hand sanitizer that she was using at her desk. Interesting. A ton of VOCs coming off of that. So, so we have to use hand sanitizer outside now. Is that what you're no, telling me? She has uh, like little holes in the window and she just <laughs> she puts her, her hands, hands out and does it outside and then pulls them back in. Uh, source number three in my, in my list of things or my, or, or problem number three is carbon monoxide, which again, we have gas appliances, unvented gas appliances or poorly vented gas appliances. I always think of my grandparents had a, uh, propane wall heater that my grandmother stood in front of all the time to get warm in the, in the garage that they had finished into a living room in the seventies, you know, uh, wood burning fixtures. So, like we were just talking about, stoves, uh, you know, could be a cooktop or mm-hmm. coal burning, burning. Didn't you tell me that you have a client that has a, a stove that's still a coal fire stove? Coal burning stove <laughs> in the kitchen. Uh, vehicles. This is that. I'm going to close the garage door and try to run the car to take care of things the hard way or the easy way. Would that be the easy way? Uh, but people don't think about that and you forget to turn the car off when you're carrying groceries in, you go to bed that night. Like that's a real issue. If your house is poorly air sealed from the garage, Steve, I forget who the client was, but maybe it was one of years where there was an exhaust fan in the garage that was triggered by the garage. We did that. Uh, We did it with uh, Paladero homes. Every one of our uh, garages, we had an exhaust fan that was triggered by motion. So as soon as the door opened, it went on, and then it ran for a couple of minutes after yeah, the door closed. for a while. Slick, right? Because yeah. slightly depressurizes space, but it doesn't matter. And that way, when you open the garage door... It doesn't feed into it, the house. It's, it's, a zone, it's a pressure relationship. Um, yeah, there was a great video about um, a guy who had figured out how to do a... Maybe he used theatrical fog as a substitute, but it, he showed what happened when you brought the car in open the door and even short term and it just comes streaking across the floor, you know, a large amount. But that's, that's true of uh, the natatoriums and greenhouses too. Mm -hmm. They always want to be negative to the house. Right. Right. So put a small fan in and have them, you know, small bath fan costs you 20 bucks a year to run. 
and just let it run 24-7, exhausting to the outside. So even if you open the door to the greenhouse or natatorium, that the air is always leaving the house, never entering the house. When I was doing room-by-room remodeling in my oldest daughter Kate's asthmatic, the only way I could control dust moving from the space I was working on to, to her space was put a box fan in the window and mm-hmm. ran it 24-7, and pressure was the way to keep yep. the dust out of that. Yeah. My last thing on carbon monoxide is tobacco smoke, which is like a duh. Like, oh, really? It's not good for you? <laughs> Uh, and then radon is the number four for pollutants. We have uh, episode 26 that we did. I was going to ask you if we've done that. Yeah. Radon. Uh, and it's a still obviously a good resource. And just Jake, carbon monoxide is the byproduct of combustion when it's not working right mm-hmm. and is a, you know, highly toxic. But just carbon dioxide, you know, is a natural outcome of combustion. But we, and we, when we talk about ventilation, we're going to come back to carbon dioxide. I don't want to do that yep. now but uh so i i actually always reference something that matt reisinger told to me was he and he showed me a like 200 dollars indoor air quality monitor that was for sale on amazon and he was like what are the chances your clients are going to end up buying one of these and i was like yeah oh, yeah yeah and if they're way more informed i need to be way more concerned like obviously we should care about the indoor air quality for our clients but the second that they have more information about the building than you do, the risk of you getting a phone call to resolve something goes up, even if it's just something that's like a minor comfort issue, not a health, a real health issue. So we have to take it, we have to take it serious and we have to be planning for it from the beginning. And that's why that conversation about go back to the podcast about the four control layers We've been talking about this since, you know, episode four or whatever that was that we started in on that. So what are ways that we deal with the other half of these other than the don't bring it into the house? If it's if it's going to be in the house one way or the other. Well, this is a tie into our next topic, right? Because yep. it's, it's going to have to be by, by ventilation. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did want to say that in terms of IAQ monitors, um, the iq uh air visual pro that's a 350 dollar monitor um i got Is that inter- the one you have this one i have and it's i i purchased it because the indoor air quality program as part of the efficiency vermont program the engineer who's in charge of that is a good friend of mine way back from south face institute days you know south face institute in um uh, atlanta she's a great engineer mechanical engineer um they selected, they looked at a whole bunch of different uh, indoor air quality monitors and came up with the I- IQ Air Visual Pro because it was the most reliable and, mo- and most cost effective for air temperature, relative humidity, um, PM 2.5, the particulate matter 2.5 and microns less, um, and um, carbon dioxide, measuring those levels. I asked her, I said, why don't you have a VOC sensor as part of yours? And she said, we never found uh, one that stayed reliable. They're apparently pretty finicky, especially over time. And so she said, we just decided that we wouldn't keep track of that because it got too expensive to include that reliably. Um, So I don't think that you shouldn't mention measure VOCs if you can, but it's just... 
I've uh, talked to Lou Harriman about this, who has also done a lot of work on different types of sensors. And he said the same thing. He said, I'm not convinced that we have good uh, measurement of VOC. So maybe that's one to skip. Okay. Steve, do you have anything to add to this one? No. Gain control. Stay in control. I don't underestimate the ability of plants either. You said that the solution for most of these, if it's in the house, it, it, plants do a lot too. I mean, obviously the, the plant in my office isn't taking care of a radon problem, but. Well, it is reducing your CO2 levels. Yeah. <laughs> That's a, a good thing. Um, do I, do, are we at the point for Pete's resource? Yes, we oh, are. Okay. So um, it's tough because this is such a broad topic, but um I'm going to do, which is sort of our default best resource. You go to buildingscience.com and search under indoor air quality. They have it as a special topic. You're going to come up with the best resource, I think, for every category that you chose there. And I just want to point out that when we we haven't talked much about mold, um, and I get tons of questions about that all the time. Um, I think Building Science Corporation has some of the best things on how to think about mold and then how to manage it. And a lot of those resources are back from when my brother Nathan Yost worked for Building Science Corporation, which means they're now probably 15 years old or even a bit more, and they still are some of the best resources. It was Joe Stiebrick, Terry Brennan, and Nathan Yost writing most of the materials on um, how to think about mold in buildings. Um, so those are, those are some of the top resources. Okay. Final thoughts? No final thoughts, right? No final thoughts. Okay. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. Thanks for watching. If you're watching on YouTube, don't forget to like and subscribe. Hit the little bell button so you get a reminder when we publish something. And if you are an iTunes user, go to iTunes, leave a five-star review. Uh, It helps other people find us. It's the most organic way that uh, people can find us other than uh, the simple tell-a-friend method, which we also recommend. Until next time, have a good day. And under this episode, feel free to re- uh, help us with what your porn star name would be. And, you know, <laughs> there you go. a good thing to share. Peter doesn't know what he's asking for. Have a good day.